Hi everybody, welcome to another podcast in our series 168 Things. Today it's me, Paul Kitkat, on my own again. As you know, Chalice has been away, absent, demolishing a house, and that's been going on for some time. You might be surprised to hear that the house is still standing. That's because the drawings were rejected, and building can't begin now until the spring. Which means that Chalice is living in the house, as I've told you before, without any interior doors. And to add to her woes, the central healing bo- the central heating boiler broke down, and therefore it's pretty cold there, because there's really no point in repairing a central heating boiler in a house that's going to be demolished within a month or two. So, today's the coldest day of the year so far. Chalice is sitting in her house wearing thick jumpers and socks. But she'll be back with us very soon for another podcast. In the meantime, I want to talk to you about something to do with how we organise ourselves at work. And the title of this podcast today is The Joy of a To-Don't List and Why You Should Have One. So we're all familiar with the concept of the to-do list, but I want to draw your attention to something much better than that. And I'm going to start by talking about a book. Um, Those that know me will will not be surprised to hear that. The book in question is called Flow, F-L-O-W, and it is a fascinating book. And the author has an amazing name as well, which when you read it on the cover, um, unless you are familiar with his native language, you will find this quite difficult to pronounce. But I've been assured that his name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It's a Hungarian name, and it's spelt C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. Csikszentmihalyi, I think. Tell me if I've got that wrong. I wouldn't want to upset him. The subtitle of the book is The Classic Work on How to Achieve Happiness. Now, how could you resist that promise? But the author actually tells us within a few pages that, in fact, it's not a how-to book. And he points out that the world is full of such things and that reading them almost always leads back to square one where you're just as dissatisfied as ever. Instead, he says he wants to present examples of how life can be made more enjoyable, ordered in the framework of theory, which sounds quite dry, but I promise you it's not a dry book. But what he's telling you is that it's up to you, the reader, to do the work of reflecting on the examples that he's going to give and drawing your own conclusions. So in that spirit, here are some of mine. Flow, as in the title of the book, is the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. It's not achieved through sitting still and meditating, but it is like a meditative state. It's arrived at when you're deeply involved in doing something, perhaps something physical, perhaps mental, perhaps both. It's often what you might call work. But when you experience flow, it's enjoyable and absorbing. It's really the best kind of work. And, by the way, it's not reserved for the kind of work that pays the most or earns the most respect in a world obsessed with status. Csikszentmihalyi gives examples of people doing the most repetitive, simple work but finding in it everything they need to be happy. 
And the point that he makes is that happiness is not given, but created by each of us, finding purpose, excluding distraction, and controlling our inner state of mind. Csikszentmihalyi wrote his book after many years of research and study. Um, 20 years at least, I think, he mentions in the introduction. Uh, It's not long, but there's more in it than I can possibly summarise here. I can, however, tell you what flow feels like for me. Time slows down, but it also passes fast. So that's a paradox, right? But every moment is intense and drawn out until I look up and three hours have gone by. My pulse slows and my breathing gets deeper and more regular, which is why it's like a meditative state, I think. And I'm calm. I'm hardly aware of the outside world or anyone else around me. I get into this state when I'm doing something creative, usually. In my life as a creative in advertising, it was when I started work on a new brief, coming up with ideas, thinking of words, lines or images. That would be when I would find myself in flow. But I can get into the flow state when I'm gardening, too, for example, or making bread, working with my hands in a creative task, in other words. But it doesn't happen every time. And when I became a creative director, one of the tasks I set myself was to figure out how to help all the creative people around me reach a flow state as easily and as often as they needed to. I knew it would make them happy in their work and that the work would be better as a result. So it's win-win. I started with the physical workspace. In one agency, I had rooms built where the creatives could go away from their desks and phones and shut the door and be undisturbed. Um, We were very fortunate in having a very large space, a former factory space, in fact, that we could repurpose. And I also was able to hire um, a receptionist just for the creative department who would not allow interruptions to the creative process. So that all worked really well, um, and people loved it. But then technology started to invade every corner of our lives. And so if you now go fast forward to the present day, we carry in our pockets the means of our perpetual distraction. The untamed phone is the enemy of flow, because it prevents that descent into, into deep, uninterrupted calm that I described. It yanks you back to the surface, even if you silence it, because you know it's still there, waiting for your attention, ready to reward you with whatever it is you can't resist. But it's stupid to blame the phone, because as Csikszentmihalyi wrote, to achieve flow, we need to control our inner life. And really, what is the phone but a physical embodiment of our own inner chaos? Control that, and the phone subsides into its proper place as our servant, not our ruler. And that brings me to the scourge of the to-do list. Now, I know a lot of people who who compile these lists, and they throw in everything that's buzzing around in their heads, distracting and bothering them. The idea, I understand, is to get it all on paper, or on screen, or into an app or something, and then tick things off which makes life seem manageable and creates the impression of progress. But Csikszentmihalyi says rightly that flow comes from single-minded absorption in a task where there are goals that can be achieved. And I believe a to-do list is the opposite of that. 
It is not single-minded, it is many-minded, and it is impossible to complete. It's like the little pot of porridge in the fairy tale. The more you take off the top, the more it fills up at the bottom. It can never be finished. So my advice is to do something completely joyous with your to-do list. Strike off every single thing on it, bar one. And you do that not by completing the tasks, but just by crossing them out. You don't have to redact them like a government agency. After all, things like buying milk and calling your mum still matter. But put them aside for now. Put everything aside, except one thing. You have now created a to-don't list. Look at it. It's a thing of joy. A long list of stuff you are not going to do today. You are free now to do one thing utterly, completely and brilliantly to immerse yourself in a task. To go deep. And here's the pure genius of it. When you come back up to the surface, out of your flow state, deeply content because you achieved something, guess what? Pull out that list of crossed out tasks and you will blow through half a dozen of them without breaking sweat right away. And the other 28 things will reveal themselves to be pointless anyway. And you can throw the list away. So that's how you go from a to-do list to a to-don't list. Now, I am well aware that a to-do list may be full of things that have been imposed on you by other people. And we need to talk about that too. Because it's all very well, I'm sure, for me, in a position of authority in an advertising agency, for example, or in any workplace, it's all very well for me to say, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. This is what I'm going to focus on today. But I would say two things about that. One, as a manager and as a leader in business, I tried to support the people in my own creative departments to do exactly what I've just described. And rather than imposing on them multifarious tasks and lengthening their to-do list ad nauseam, I would favour the opposite and encourage them to have a to-don't list and focus on the one thing that really was the most important thing, being creative. So I hope that in my practice, that was my management style. And I would also say that for those people that wonder whether or not in a, if their manager isn't uh, uh, an advocate of the to-don't list, how will they handle keeping things within manageable proportions and keeping things to one item? Well, perhaps that's a subject for another time when we talk about the power of no. That will be the subject of a podcast coming up shortly. For now... I'm sure that you've got many things on your own to-do list. Perhaps pull it out and see what the one thing is that you really absolutely want to do and can do and immerse yourself in and achieve that flow state. And at the end of it, perhaps you'll find that the other items don't matter at all anyway. Or perhaps you'll just blow through them as I've suggested. Anyway, good luck with that. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this very short podcast. Please remember that we're opening the email to people with queries so that we can run a agony aunt and uncle session. We've already got a few questions in. We're looking for a few more to give us some meat to work with. That'll be coming up very soon. 
I'm looking for things that are serious and amusing, so please send them into 168things, 168things at gmail.com. That's all. Thanks for listening again. If you've enjoyed this podcast or any of the others in the series, please do give us a star rating on your podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts and write a review. And don't hesitate to use that email address to send us your questions, but also suggestions and anything else that you'd like to tell us about this podcast, suggestions for improvements, topics for future uh, podcasts. That would be great. I look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye for now.